Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Lord, we do say all might and majesty and dominion, glory and honour and praise is yours. You alone are worthy, worthy to receive our praise church said amen amen please be seated lovely to be with you this morning thanks for the opportunity to speak to you again Uh, thanks to Mia and the worship team can we just thank them that was just a super time this morning bless them just just before we commence though uh, as you you may perhaps it's so recent some of you may not have picked up the the news but in Morocco uh, a major earthquake 6.8 I think has the the death toll has passed 2,000 uh, it's been described as doomsday. Uh, one Western Australian tourist, who happened, uh, sorry, journalist, who happened to be there and survived it. So let's just take that to God, shall we? And why don't you just talk to the Father as his spirit prompts you in the face of this. Lord, it's unimaginable loss. Um, Having sat in a room of 1,300 Friday morning, to think of nearly double that taken in such a, a moment, we just raise it before you, Lord, feeling very helpless, but knowing that your compassion drowns ours. Our hearts are moved, yours so much more. Every single one of those people, you knew how many hairs on their head. Move your church, Lord. If we're to be part of it, prompt us. But whoever, whoever you're calling, Lord, let them be swift to hear and give them grace to be very swift in responding. Lord, may your love be poured forth into this pain. And Father, we also just, I I just want to say amen to Gary's prayer from earlier. Um, Help me to step into the twilight, stay out of your way so that Jesus, you have the spotlight. Holy Spirit, you are here. Continue to have your way in this place. Put aside our preconceptions and our agendas and say, your will be done in this room as it is in heaven. Your will be done in the lives of all watching online as it is in heaven. Church said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for the privilege of speaking to you once again. I always love it. And uh, I get to launch a new series. Look at that young girl on the screen. Uh, Nick commented last week when he was announcing that this new series would commence, and he said, that's where we want all of you to be. And we do, hence the series. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, said the glory of God is a human fully alive. And that's what he was talking about, a human fully alive. 
in the Together email, which is a great way to keep up with what's happening around the church. If you're not on the list and you'd like to be, we'd love you to be. See the Connect Point people, they'll be happy to make all that happen. Uh, but it, it, Nick pointed out, it's, we believe it's time to begin a new series, Preaching Through the Book of Acts. A journey through the Book of Acts that'll take us a couple of years, because it's a long journey, and we'll do it in stages. Stage one is the first four chapters, and Nick describes it as the exciting beginnings of the birth of the church. And our, my prayer, our prayer is that you will move to that fully alive. A human fully alive, not the way Turo described it after his three years in isolation at Walden Pond in Massachusetts. He wrote his book, Walden. You may know one famous quote from it, most of humanity, the mass of humanity, lead lives of quiet desperation. Well, this series is to lift you out of the quiet desperation and into being fully alive, fully alive in Jesus. So, Let's begin at the beginning, Acts chapter 1 verse 1. You can turn to it in your Bibles or uh, electronic or the, uh, the, the good old-fashioned print uh, or it'll come up on the screens as you can see. Acts 1.1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their side and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Church said, <laughs> amen. Wait, at the church said, amen. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Okay, now the book of Acts is distinctive both in the way that it starts and the way that it ends. It starts as a sequel. Luke continues on from his gospel. That's the former book he's talking about. He wrote both the gospel and Acts for someone called Theophilus. Now we're not sure whether it's a name or whether it's a title because in his gospel he calls him most excellent Theophilus and that's how they used to refer to governors and people like that. So could have been an honorary title, could have been a person. The two words, Theophilus, it actually means a lover of God or a friend of God or beloved by God. And the gospel talked about all that Jesus began to do and teach, we just read, while he was on earth. The book of Acts is what he continued to do ever since by the Holy Spirit. Gospel, while he's on earth, the book of Acts, what he continued to do by the Holy Spirit, fulfilling his promise, I will build my church. 
And all the way through the book of Acts, you'll find this. Just one example of, of scores of examples. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and his companions, are wanted, they're wanting to preach in the province of Asia, but they're kept from doing so by the Holy Spirit. So then they planned to enter Bithynia, but Acts tells us the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Paul ends up in Rome because the Spirit said that's where he was to go. Peter crosses the Great Divide and visits the Roman centurion Cornelius because the Spirit told him that's where he was to go. And that helps to explain the ending of Acts, or actually the non-ending, because it doesn't have one. Acts just kind of stops midstream. It's the sequel that, you know how in movies they, they leave, there's a chance for more here. Well, that's how, that just, the word on the screen, that's how Acts finishes. For two whole years, Paul, uh, where are we, sorry? Uh, for two whole years, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God with all boldness and without hindrance. That's really appropriate, I think, because the book of Acts hasn't ended. It didn't end. It kept, Jesus is still building his church. Has, has for the millennia since. He's building his church around the world and he's building his church in this place too, right here, right now. Have a look at this. In the center there is uh, where we began over 60 years ago. Over 60 years ago, there were 13 members who purchased the first block. They organized the first working bee and only a couple of people turned up. And the pastor of the time, Frank Holland, just began quietly packing up his tools. His sister, who was one of the 13 members, and by the way, still with us, but his sister came across and in a sisterly way said, you can't just go home. And he said this, this is not my church. Each person has to decide whether this is part of the purpose of God or not. 60 years ago. You have to decide, is this God's purpose or isn't it? And he went home without any angst. See, he wasn't building a monument to himself or seeking to make a mark. He wanted to be part of the purpose of God. And ever since, the same question has been asked. Is this part of God's purpose? So Steve Isaac joined us as a student on the team, but with a heart to plant a church. And we began to think, yeah, that's our calling. And Cary was planted. And look at what the Lord has done in the Cary community. And then we got the opportunity to come alongside Kubala and see them revived and restored and released back into the wonderful time they're having now. And then the wonderful people at Thornley had been, they'd been asking the Holy Spirit what they should do, and so were we. And in another remarkable God story, that came together, our Thornley campus, uh, our Kubalup campus, sorry, and then Thornley, the people at Thornley, that came together, and we were able to refresh and renew together there. Of course, then Michael Yu on our team began to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to do? And he felt that he was called to move. The team and the church shared that sense of call. And so then at the same time, as seems to happen, the Holy Spirit was speaking to the people at the vine. And they began to sense God calling them. And the reason we have this exciting birth of a new campus at Honeydale is that we believe this is God's purpose. Did you notice all through uh, the commissioning of Andrew, we were saying it, the college prayed. We, we asked. We're constantly saying, "Is Holy Spirit, is this what you want? Is this God's purpose? Now, we don't become robots or automatons. The disciples didn't either. 
In this process, there are actually 10 important little words tucked away in Acts 15. They were communicating a very important decision from a vital meeting of the church leaders in Jerusalem, and they included these 10 words. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. But you notice the order. We have a role, but the Holy Spirit's role is primary and supreme. I had the privilege of uh, being a guest at the Rossmoyne graduation concert last night. It was a marvellous night. I loved it. And so did Merle. A marvellous night of music. And it, it, it's, it's like we're all in the orchestra, but he's the conductor. Each of us has a desk in the orchestra where we sit, but the Lord is the conductor. So when the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, are we going to get rid of the Romans? This time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is crystal clear. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority. What's he saying? You're in the orchestra. He's the conductor. Sit at your desk. Sit at your desk. You have a unique desk. No one can sit at your place in the orchestra. He made you for it. But he is the conductor. See, he has to be. How could the disciples know that Jesus is about to send them as his witnesses to the ends of the earth because the Spirit is about to cross the greatest divide of all and fall on Gentiles as he was falling on Jews? <clears throat> Excuse me. They couldn't possibly know how long God had been getting ready for this. 450 years before was the golden age of Greek culture. Because of that, Greek became the lingua franca, the language they spoke everywhere, a bit like English today. And so they could write the New Testament in Greek and it could be read to the ends of the earth. What's more, those hated Roman armies meant mobile armies and that meant paved roads that connected all the major cities so they were in place so they could travel to the ends of the earth. Latin, incidentally, became a language, another lingua franca, and that had a part to play in the growth of the church. God had been preparing this for a long time, as he always does. And as he always does, Eugene Peterson, I think, nails this beautifully. He says, we must accept the way Jesus works out our salvation. We must allow Jesus to be God. So our first focus in this series allowing Jesus to be God and the Holy Spirit to be the conductor is you will receive power, verse 8 of our reading. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Excuse me. Now, if you say you're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, some people get edgy, a little bit twitchy. If you say you're going to talk about witnessing, a lot more people get twitchy, don't they? I mean, how many in this room and watching online have not so great memories of witnessing? Thanks, Dave. There's a lovely quote that says, believers and non-believers have one thing in common. They're both uptight about evangelism. We've all experienced the insensitive zeal, the embarrassing guffs, and sometimes, sadly, we're the ones who've shown the insensitive zeal and the embarrassing guffs. Or we feel guilty because we're not witnessing enough. It doesn't cause us to, to leap up with joy. In fact, there's a lovely story in Eugene Peterson's book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. If you haven't read that, give yourself a treat and do so. 
But he tells the story of how he had a very happy childhood in Montana. He said it was like living in the Garden of Eden until he went to school and the school bully, Garrison Johns, made Eugene his special project and beat him up every day. Eugene had the Bible verses in his mind as he was being belted. And then Johns discovered he was a Christian, so started calling him Jesus Sissy. And this went on until one fateful day. Here are Eugene's, Eugene's own words. Something snapped within me, totally uncalculated, totally out of character. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realised I was stronger than he. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me. And at my mercy, it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. <laughs> it felt really good, so I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson on the snow. I said to Garrison, say, uncle. He wouldn't, so I hit him again. More blood. And then my Christian teaching came back to me. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. <laughs> and he said it. <laughs> Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful story, right? So if that's not what Jesus means by you will be my witnesses, I don't want to see a whole lot of people sitting on people's chest in the car park at the end of the sea. <laughs> then what does witness mean? Well, I reckon if we remember our role, if we start at the right place and if we realise how wide and long and high and deep is the love that is our witness, we get it. Let's start, first of all, remember your role. You are not the saviour. A lady rang night, I've told this story before, so I'll keep it very brief, but it's just the best example I can, well, it's the one I think the Lord wants me to tell, so he's conducting, not me. Well, if I've misheard the conductor, forgive me, it's not him. But this, this lady was ringing, she was dying with cancer, she would only give us, she would give us no way of contacting her other than those calls. I made my last call to her. She rang to say goodbye because her voice was being taken. I said what, I called out for help, I said what I thought I was meant to say, and halfway, I could take you to the very point on the road driving home where I realised I didn't lead her in the sinner's prayer. I had a sleep, if you don't know what that is, don't worry. I had a sleepless night. I rang Neil Adcock, who'd done the program before me and my mentor, and he said, Graham, let me just say two things. One, the Apostle Paul didn't say the sinner's prayer, just by the way. But number two, if you did stuff up, and I don't believe you did, do you think Jesus loves that dying lady so little that he would leave it all on you? Do you not think he'd have someone else who'd come in and, and, and do what needed, say what needed to be said? And I realised then, and Jesus has had to say it to me so many times since, Graham, I've actually examined your application for the position of Messiah. <laughs> You're a little bit short in a couple of the essential criteria, but I do have an opening for a servant. And by the way, for some of you in the room, you're not the Holy Spirit executive assistant either. The Spirit doesn't need an executive assistant. I've got a, a lady many, many years, many years ago, very keen for her husband to come to know her friend Jesus. And why wouldn't you be? Who wants to spend eternity apart? But, and so she would leave books open at the appropriate place for his eyes to just fall on. Or she would have tapes set. And as his car drove in, she would press the button. So as he walked through the door, the preacher was saying just the right thing. <laughs> Some of you squirming in your seats. No, no, no. Look, the, um, here's the thing. That man came to faith 
it began through the most acutely socially embarrassing situation he'd ever been in. My brother disliked, one of my brothers disliked two things especially, and God used both in bringing him to faith. We're not, the Holy Spirit doesn't need an executive assistant. See, his love is always pursuing. He loves them more than you do. Sylvia Sanders was speaking to a young lass once who was selling herself in order to support her habit, sorry, and her, and her pimp. And this lass said, oh, look, it's a bit too late for me. Try and help the younger ones. She was in her early 20s. Sylvia wrote a poem and it finishes like this. That night as she trod the familiar beat, was she ever aware of the patient feet that followed on with relentless tread? Feet of a shepherd, feet that bled. That's witnessing. When not called to be, Jesus did not say, you will be my sales team to the ends of the earth. We're not called to sell things. Uh, one of our youth group, again, many years ago, went up to a, an evangelism training thing and they gave them clipboards and surveys. And the idea was you went up to people and said, would you mind answering uh, some questions for a survey? And then halfway through the survey changed, to, to, there was a bait and switch and suddenly you were talking about God. And he did this twice and felt really uncomfortable. And the third person that he could have spoken to was the father of his best friend. And he thought, I can't do this. So he came and said to me, is this witnessing? I don't want to say anything about the people who designed that or their hearts, but to me, no, it's not. No, it's not. Now, let me quickly say, I was walking out of the Governor's Prayer Breakfast with our Craig Palmer, our pastor, and, and I know Craig does some training in this area and gives you some fantastic little tools. That, that Just put them in your pocket, and there may be a time when sensitively and appropriately you can use them. They're handy. I'm not against that. But we're not called to deliver a sales pitch and we're not called to be his solicitors. He didn't say, you will be my lawyers. Now, some people are called to apologetics and I hold them in awe. I just love seeing them and hearing them do their thing. But we're not all called to that. But we are all called and empowered to be witnesses. Witnesses. What's that? Well, witness is the Greek word martus. And it just means what it means in our everyday life. It means in a court, you're a witness. Now, when you're a witness, hearsay evidence is not accepted. It has to be firsthand. A witness in a court gives a firsthand account of personal experience. So he's saying you will give firsthand evidence from personal experience that I'm alive. Notice he didn't say, you really should witness for me. You should be ashamed of yourself. You think, well, call yourself a Christian. He didn't say that. He didn't say you really should witness. He said, you will witness. You will witness. Uh, I have a friend in America. I always catch up with him. Well, Merle and I always have a coffee with he and hopefully he and his wife whenever we go. Uh, he's a marvellous guy, great communicator, but a terrible practical joker. And his circle of friends decided this day it's his turn. So he ordered a spicy yeah, he ordered a spicy dish, but they added lethal chili to this spicy dish. Yes, exactly. So he took two mouthfuls and something began to burn within him. And as the fire burned within him, he jumped up and started running into the restaurant where one of the group was waiting with a bowl of yogurt, laughing. See, he did testify. 
He didn't have to. He wasn't told he should. He got a fiery (laughs) furnace inside him and he became a witness. He was a witness. And see, there's, there's an order here and it's really important. We've got to start at the right place. We can't jump in at witness. When do you witness? When you have received power. When do you receive power? When the Holy Spirit has come on you. You have to start with the Holy Spirit. Why does the Holy Spirit come on us anyway? Well, it's not to make us look good or validate us or impress impress others. Jesus said the helper, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit will witness to you before he witnesses through you. He'll bear witness about me. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus became human to be Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with us. So the Holy Spirit makes him real in you and me and through us as he leads us to be with others. Paul put it this way. Your lives are a letter everyone can read. Your lives are a letter everyone can read. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit. I put the street chaplains up there because the very name of the helper, parakletos, comes from kaleo and para, called alongside. We have a number of street chaplains in our church family. Garth Icon, the founder, is part of our family as well. Leanne Armstrong was a finalist in the recent Chaplains Awards. They're living letters whose very presence and care prompts a question. A girl is vulnerable, in great danger. A chaplain ensures that she gets safely home. It prompts a question from a parent. Why did you do this? You're not paid. You're a volunteer. You're out in the teeth of winter, in the dead of night, And you're protecting my girl. Why? Because there is a God who loves her. Because she was made in the image of God. Their very presence brings hope. Natalie Page has been called to be among the people who have nothing, the refugees in Yemen with Medair. We saw a message from Nat a couple of weeks ago. I want you to look at another snippet of that and think witness. So there's a picture of how the water services were in the previous camps. You can see there's big queues to use the water. There's um, mud and uh, just all around the area where people are filling up their taps and their buckets and there's only one tap. So now the people who live in these camps who are the ones who need the water are helping Medair design the way that they can access that clean safe drinking water so in this picture you'll see the beginning of construction they're talking to Medair engineers and then in the next picture you can see the finished product there's it's a raised platform there's lots of taps around where people can access so more than one person can fill their jerry can at one time Um, the area is clean it's in the middle of the camp so everybody has um, access to the the safe drinking water. If I've got time for one more little story, some people who I haven't asked their permission, so I won't name them, gave me some money, said, Nat, do whatever you want in Yemen with this. So some boys came up to me, they said, we want to start a football competition. So we bought a football and some football nets, and now there's a like a Matilda League (laughs) of... um, 
soccer that is happening where the the people in these refugee camps have organised their own soccer. Mm -hmm. Witness. If Jesus was in that camp, my first thought was he'd be playing soccer. And I thought, no, that wouldn't be fair because his team would win, have to win. So he'd probably be refereeing the soccer, but he'd be there. See, it's really important that we reach the head, right? It's really important that that we reach people's heads. But, you know, I've learned in our culture over my years in radio and the community, people don't care what you know till they know that you care. It's really important to reach the heart. We've put a lot of effort into evangelising the head, and that's not wrong. But why did Jesus give the parable of the Good Samaritan? Why did Jesus talk about, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, I was sick and in prison, you visited me. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was hungry and you fed me. The conductor has a desk just for you. And you sit at that desk. My desk wasn't at Sunshine FM, the Christian station. Well, when I started on radio, it didn't exist. I had the privilege of launching it. But he sent me down at the TAB station among the Cornellas and the Trifectas and the Mystery Bets. I, I, places like Moe that I'd never heard of. And for all those years, I just sat and chatted into a microphone. I took calls and spoke into a microphone, but the words really just went out into the ether. I had no way of knowing, what, was God doing anything? But I, that was my desk. The conductor pointed at me. But what's actually being accomplished? Two weeks ago, our college chaplain, Joel Louie, bought an electronic drum kit on Gumtree. I bought a second-hand electronic drum kit from a man in Cannington. As we packed down the drums to load into my car, I noticed an ESV study Bible in his bookshelf and asked him about it. I found out that he is a believer and came to faith hearing you share the gospel on Nightline. How amazing is that? Something in his eyes and the lines on his face told me that this man had experienced a lot of hardship, but there was a real air of peace and a solidness about him. I know this sounds weird, but I felt like God had led me to this specific place to buy this drum kit. I'm not sure why, but I blurted out, I feel like God has led me here. The voice in my head said, uh-oh, I'm turning into one of those crazy Christians. The guy paused, looked at me, and said that he sensed that God's hand was in this too. He said that he'd been praying for a long time to sell the drum kit and that this was an answer to prayer. The ad had been up for several months. He told me it would be his son's birthday in a few days. Having sold the drum kit, he now had enough money to celebrate the special day by getting a tattoo in memory of him. You see, his son had died of a drug overdose two years ago. I had no words. There was an awkward silence. And without thinking, I hugged him. Let me just say at this point, I generally don't hug strangers from Gumtree after I buy something from them. On the way home, I was emotional and really just overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit as I caught a glimpse of just how much God loved this man. God was there when he first tuned into Nightline and the Father was there through this man's grief and pain. As I meditated on this, I realised that the Holy Spirit had brought us together and answered both our prayers. I had been praying for God to reveal himself in the ordinary, everyday stuff of life. You're never more fully alive than when you're doing what the conductor is telling you to do at the desk where he's put you. Never. But I had no idea for years that that had happened. 
And please pray for that lovely man. And obviously we'll pray about how to maybe support some more. About 18 months ago, Mim told me about Pauline. I didn't know about her. I, I'll, again, super brief because I mentioned it at the governor's prayer breakfast. She was driving home. Her plan was to get her children, put them in the car and end it all. Her marriage had collapsed and she actually said out loud, God, if you're real, you better show me. And then just punched the radio button on her car. I was talking to a woman in exactly her situation. And because it was late, we then played one day at a time, sweet Jesus, which we used to close the program every night. Walking into her home, she found she was singing it. Now, I don't know all the links in the chain, but I do know that last week, Nick had dinner with one of those children who would have been in the car and taken from us. He's a pastor. In fact, she remarried, ended up with four children. Three of them are pastors in ministry, as I'm speaking to you. You see, God gives the increase. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. Each of us does the task God has assigned to us, but God gives the increase. Let me, make that, let me make that clearer. God assigns to each their task. One plants, another waters, but God makes it grow. So Paul tells the Galatians this. Since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. So here I have to con- conclude today by confessing a struggle. I sense that the church, church, we're being called to another level in the Holy Spirit. We're being called to, to get our eyes back on the conductor and listen to his prompts. I know I need to be being filled with the Spirit. That's what Galatians, Ephesians 5.18 actually says. As one older pastor said, I need to be filled with the Spirit every day because I leak. I know whenever I make room for the Holy Spirit, he comes. Next week, we'll have our silent retreat at New Norcia and the Spirit will come to those people in an amazing variety of ways. He always does. But I checked out professional dancers this week. That's why they're on the screen. World champions rehearse together four to eight hours a day, six days a week. They're serious about keeping in step. We can't keep in step. I can't keep in step with the Holy Spirit if I'm not spending quality time with him. I know he's inviting me to make room for him. I know he's inviting you. And in a moment, we'll use our closing song as our response. But before we do, let me say two things. One, listen to him for how you'll do it. One of the great things about Rob Reimer's soul care is he says, you have to find your spiritual rhythm. Merle and I are different. What works for her isn't for me. But we each, and and I'm never opposed in anything as much as when I'm opposed to rearranging my life to make quality time for the Holy Spirit. But I'm prompted to tell a story and when I I, uh, was prompted to tell this story, I had no idea that the main character was going to be with us. I'd been praying about how, Merle and I had been praying about how to reach our immediate neighbours coming up to one Easter in a way that was sensitive and loving and just nothing came. We had ideas and that, they weren't, and so Easter came and we thought, well, that, was, that worked. But after one of our Easter services, as I was leaving, Cheryl Bowden said, have you got a minute? And then she showed me this. 
And she told me the story of the little boy who was standing on stage today. But Oliver at this stage was five years old. And he wanted to send a message to the people in his street. He told his mum the message. She cat typed it out. And here's what it is. I had the idea to give people this letter because I really love Jesus. And I know he died on the cross for us at Easter time. At school, I learned about hunting for Easter eggs and bunnies. But I know that Easter is more about Jesus. I love him because he's kind and he always, he's always around to listen to us and he's alive and he speaks to us even though we can't see or hear him the way we see other things. Jesus told us to spread his love all around the earth. He loves you more than all the stars in the universe. Happy Easter. And I said to Cheryl, that's it. Can I have a copy of that? I was able to print it off. We gave it to all of our neighbours with some Easter eggs and said, look, we're just giving you this because there's a five-year-old boy who wants to share love at Easter time. Now, all our neighbours were very happy to receive it, but only one responded. And she wrote this, I wanted to tell you how little five-year-old Oliver touched my heart, so young, and yet he can see Easter is so much more than chocolate eggs. Mind you, I hope he'll continue to celebrate the real meaning of Easter and have lots of chocolate Easter eggs. <laughs> that was a lady we were praying for because she was journeying with cancer and we were seeking ways to share his love with her. And she is now with him. She's gone to be with him. And God used a five-year-old boy and a chance conversation after church and that's being fully alive and he wants it for you. Okay. I'm going to take us through our final song just before we sing it. And I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit for what he says. As we go through each verse, could we have the first verse of the last song? Thanks. Um, we sang this a couple of weeks ago when Nick spoke. And as we were singing it, I really sensed the Lord saying to me, finish with this. This first verse of the last song. Thanks, buddy. Just... I'm going to read it to you. Listen to the Spirit. Just see if the conductor points to you in some of these words. Does a phrase jump at you? Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Not quiet desperation. Let the presence of the risen Lord come now. Renew my heart. Make me whole. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. Holy Spirit, next one, thanks, buddy. Come alive, next one. Well, I'll read them to you. If we can do them as I'm reading them, Dave, that'd be great. Just going through the words of the last song. Holy Spirit, come abide within. May your joy be seen in all I do. Love enough to cover every sin. You don't have to take guilt out of here. In each thought and deed and attitude, kindness to the greatest and the least. Gentleness that sows the path of peace. Turn my strivings into works of grace. Breath of God, 
Show Christ in all I do. Finally, Holy Spirit, from creation's birth, giving life to all that God has made, show your power once again on earth. Cause your church to hunger for your ways. Let cause your church to hunger for your ways. Let the fragrance of our prayers arise. Lead us on the road to sacrifice. Sorry, lead us on the road of sacrifice. That in unity, the face of Christ may be clear for all the world to see. Continue to listen to the Spirit as Mia and the worship team sing this. They're going to sing it to you and then she'll invite you to stand and we'll close with it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.